In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day Eve to all the moms who are here. It's a beautiful weekend. Too bad we can't have great weather on both days, but at least having really good weather on one day, it's very nice. Uh, welcome to everyone who's visiting. Uh, there's a lot of people who are here from uh, far away to see their grandchildren, uh, or if not their grandchildren, their favorite munchkins receive First Holy Communion. You're all very welcome. I do ask you, I know there's a lot of picture takers, which is wonderful. Um, two little notes. One, please don't use flash. Um, that'll drive me nutso. And uh, secondly, when we are at the time of receiving First Holy Communion, please really do stay in your pews. And um, you can get good close-up shots afterwards, but uh, we need to make sure there's nothing distracting us from uh, receiving Holy Communion and not thinking about who sees me or who's uh, uh, trying to get an angle to be able to see my face. Not my face. I know you're not trying to take pictures of my face. Um, let me tell you a little bit about where I've been for the last few days. Some of you know that I was on a little trip, right? I was in Italy for 12 days. And it was a beautiful opportunity for me to revisit two places that are very important in my personal faith. There's actually three things that I want to mention to you as being very important to my faith, my continued faith, in the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Certainly when I was your age, it was easy for me to believe that what's happening on the altar is everything that was told to me, right? Those large old people who smell bad sometimes that we call priests, I had never known any of them to be anything other than a priest, right? Because in my seven years of existence, um, none of them had uh, popped into being. So they were, as far as I know, you know, for all eternity, they were priests. Uh, they, you know, didn't sleep, didn't use the bathroom, didn't eat Cheetos, you know, probably didn't even drink Coke, right? Well, then my older brother went into the seminary and I realized that they were uh, very normal, uh, exceedingly normal, which was good. Um, but then it made it a challenge to believe that, that they really do the sacraments. And so it was, a, it was an opportunity to rediscover my faith. And there are really three things. There's the, you could say the miraculous, right? The stupendous, the amazing. And then there's the historical, uh, the scriptural, right? The undeniable, the verifiable. And then there's the personal, right? Or the, the prayerful or the mystical. Three things. One that was very important to me when I was growing up, I heard about it very early on, was the miracle that happened in the town of Bolsena, just north of Rome, along the lake, in the chapel, the Basilica of St. Christina, the Astonishing. There was a priest who was losing his faith, who was there around the year 1263. He had gone to Rome on a pilgrimage to try to recover his faith, which was falling apart. And he went to pray at the tombs of St. Peter and St. Paul and so many other apostles who were buried in Rome. 
But his faith hadn't come back to him. He was on his return trip home up north. And at the altar near the tomb of St. Christina, when he got to the words of consecration saying, this is my body, or there was no mass in English in 1263, uh, there was no mass in Italian either, hoc est enum corpus meum, the host started to bleed on his hands and onto the altar cloth, and um, everything stopped. Uh, the Pope in those years, Pope Urban IV, was living in the town of Orvieto. He governed most of Italy so he could live whatever, wherever he wanted. Very short distance away. So uh, news was relayed to the Pope. The Pope asked to see everything himself. So the priest and the sacrament and the altar cloths, all bloodied, were brought to the Pope. Now, a year later, in 1264, the Pope declared the annual solemnity of Corpus Christi in a papal document called Transiturus. In it, he didn't mention anything of the miracle, which may seem strange, except for the fact that we don't believe in the real presence because of a miracle. We believe in the real presence because that's what Jesus did and said and told his apostles. That's what's recorded in the Gospels. That's what the Acts of the Apostles described the church doing. That's what St. Paul warns his readers not to receive in vain, not to receive unworthily. The miracle just intensifies what we already know. And in fact, there have been hundreds of Eucharistic miracles. As I got older, the, the details of some of, those, some of that story um, being called into question made it um, less... Uh, significant for my personal faith as it had been when I first heard the story. The story is still significant. The artifacts are still there. And just two weeks ago, Father Sina and I were able to offer Mass in that very chapel where the, the corporal, the altar cloth with all the bloodstains, is on public display. It's really moving. Really beautiful. Even more significant was something that came to be a very personal favorite place for me to visit during my four years of seminary in Rome, namely the Basilica of St. Paul, or St. Peter. St. Peter's Basilica is the place where St. Peter was buried in the first century. For several decades he had been in Rome, that's where he governed the church. Around the year 64, he was crucified upside down, martyred with so many other early Christian martyrs who were killed by Nero, who had to find a scapegoat for the burning of the city of Rome. We know that Christians came from all parts of the world in every century to visit his grave because they left coins as tokens as gifts, as offerings. And those coins bear the stamp of when they were there, where they came from. In the early 300s, the Emperor Constantine with Pope Sylvester I established a permanent structure over that tomb, the first St. Peter's Basilica. And for 300 years, that basilica was a mausoleum. There was no permanent altar 
irremovable altars, but no permanent altar until the year 600. Every time I went to visit that basilica and specifically that grave, it was a reminder that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, really did rise from the dead. Because if he hadn't risen from the dead, Peter wouldn't be buried thousands of miles away from his favorite fishing hole. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, our Lord's apostles would have remained in hiding for the rest of their lives trying to avoid the same fate. They would have tried to sneak back to what they were doing before or sneak further away. But they did the exact opposite. They proclaimed our Lord's resurrection to all corners of the globe and did so not the way uh, a cult perpetrates a hoax by, by keeping its members apart from the rest of society and not letting them interact. Christianity went to all corners of the globe and had nothing to fear and interacted with everyone in every place. And what did they proclaim? Did they proclaim a message of prosperity? Did they proclaim a message of personal gain? No, they, they proclaimed the gospel as it was preached by Christ. They promised that if they were to follow the Lord faithfully, they would be hated, they would be persecuted, and they would be killed, but they would be able to go to heaven. The Christian gospel is something that could never have been made up because no one would make up something like that. There was no ulterior motive for the apostles to concoct a story like that. There was nothing in it for them. And there are tombs in all various parts of Europe and all various parts of the city of Rome and various parts of them buried other places are a testimony to the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we believe the apostles about the resurrection, we obviously believe them about everything they say about Jesus. Especially his most controversial, his most notable teachings. The permanence of marriage. The preferability of celibacy. The necessity of receiving our Lord's body and blood if we are to have eternal life. These teachings of Christ earned him mockery. And people abandoned him. But not the apostles. And not because they were going to get rich or famous or powerful or important. They simply wanted to be in union with God as he revealed himself. So it was beautiful to be back in St. Peter's Basilica and not just to be there for my own benefit, but to point out to the other pilgrims that the very existence of this building is a proclamation of the resurrection of Christ. Now that's the mystical, the miraculous, and the historical, the scriptural and undeniable. But when I came back, and it's always good to come home and to be home, I was able on Wednesday to offer Mass and to, to begin exposition so that our Lord would be on the altar for adoration. 
And it was when I was a young teenager, spending time in adoration, that something indescribable happened, where, I, where there seemed to be absolutely no distance between me and our Lord, where he was not just present to me, but he was, he was touching me, where I wasn't looking at him, I was with him. It was a, it was a moment that um, has to be remembered because moments like that don't happen too often. And so I hope in your young lives something happens for all three of those dimensions of faith to become very personal to you. What you know about history and scripture and what you learn of the miraculous and the amazing that have happened to other people. But ultimately that you experience these things personally. And if you... If you persevere, there will only be one, one obstacle remaining to overcome, and that's sin. If we permit sin to creep into our lives, it's impossible to believe in God. It's impossible to believe in anything good. It's impossible to believe that the sacraments are real. So stay innocent and stay away from sin, and your faith will always give you joy and always give you consolation. Last night, I had the beautiful opportunity to receive into the church two very young people, a seven-year-old girl and her nine-year-old brother. They're leaving the country in a few weeks, and they'd been studying very hard every week for the last several months. And they asked me to baptize them and to confirm them and to give them First Holy Communion. They took the initiative to say, this is what I believe. And I reject Satan, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe that that thing that looks like bread really is his body. For, for you, this moment is another moment in a, li in a life of faith, but I encourage you to try to live this moment as though this is brand new. As though you're not just taking the next little step forward, but you're saying you belong to Jesus. And you love him. And you will always remain faithful to him. And then I guarantee you this day will not just simply bear fruit in your life and will be a day that you remember. This will be a day that changes others. Because Jesus won't just be somewhere up there. Jesus will be inside of you. And you will give him to others. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.